Hey, I'm Jen. And I'm Tequila. And you are listening to Inside Stories. Yeah, so we're back. I think this is going to be our third um, and final ep- final story that was told during COVID, like alone in, with a microphone in a room without an audience. Um, we're going to have Brendan Panky on, and then um, next week we'll be back to stories with a live audience. That'll be nice to have some live energy somewhere besides just the two of us talking to screens. Well, we're in person now, so it feels better. I know, we're actually at the own table, so... And Richard's fancy new space with these mics. Y'all have to see these mics. You can't, but they're awesome. They are good. Um, all right. Well, I think we'll, we'll just get into it. Well, today we are going to welcome an old friend of the show. We can say that now. We have old friends of the show. <laughs> um, someone who we also do workshops with around town, Brendan. Yeah, so uh, Brendan, Ben Panky's with us. And I think you were our second episode. Yeah, yeah. Right after Esteban, right? Yep. Yes. Yep. yep. Um, so the, just so this story, um, in the early days of COVID, we put out a call to some of our favorite storytellers if they wanted to tell, sort of record a COVID story and send it to us. Uh, and Brendan sent us this one. And um, we, because we were not in person, we didn't have a chance to talk to you about it. So we thought we're going to share the story again. And then um, we'll talk to you about it after we listen to it. Yeah. All right. Let's rediscover it. To marry me. And then we set the date for a year out, about a year out. So we were sure to have time to finish school and time to uh, get everything planned and set. And it turns out we'd also have plenty of time to have conversations with my family members about why we weren't getting married in the Catholic Church, why we were going to have it outside, and why we're going to have our friend officiate, our recently divorced friend officiate. We, we even had to convince him why he was going to do it for us. But we went out in the end. But we still had to have a lot of awkward conversations with my mom, which I was surprised about because we weren't consistent churchgoers. And also with my grandma, her mom. Um... I think that's maybe the most conversations I've ever had with my grandma in a short period of time. And it was painful. It was every event, every holiday. And I just got tired of talking to my grandma. She even learned how to email and she would email me. And at the end, she would say things like, well, and I'll pray for you too, if that's okay. I was like, sure, grandma. Passive aggressive prayer is fine by me. (laughs) It's the only kind, really, I think. The only kind. So I found out later, though, that maybe this all wasn't my grandma. See, I didn't talk to my grandpa about it because he was very difficult to talk to at that time because he had Parkinson's disease. He was dying of it, and he couldn't really talk very loudly at all. And so I think my grandma was kind of like, getting his message out to the world. And she felt this obligation to get that out there and take care of him however she could because it was getting hard. He was falling down a lot and she couldn't pick him up. And then uh, about a week before the wedding, I guess, my grandpa said he wasn't going to go because it wasn't right the way we were getting married. And my grandma said, Howard, you ass. Of course you're going to go. (laughs) And uh, 
And then my grandpa died and my grandma didn't have to take care of him anymore. And I got to know my grandma all over again. And I got to have a lot of fun with my grandma. And I'm really glad I got to have that time with her and get to know her again. And I think she got to know herself again. Her life was very different. And now she's 96 and she's in hospice. And all she wants to do all day is drink chocolate wine and watch the Hallmark Channel. I don't know what chocolate wine is, but I'm pretty sure it's the wine equivalent of the Hallmark Channel. And I got to see her a couple weeks ago and we talked with her a little bit. My son played her the violin and she just was cute and snuggled down in her blankets where she is most of the time. She doesn't really get out of bed. She has to get lifted up by two people. But that's okay. She's 96. She gets to pick how she spends her time. She is an adult at this point. I'm pretty sure once you're 96, you're an adult. But now her nursing home is on lockdown. And even though she's in hospice, she's not sick enough for us to visit her. So no one can visit her. My mom and her sisters and her brothers had been visiting her pretty much every day. Somebody had been hanging out with her. And now she's just lonely, I think. I don't know. No one can talk to her. There's no way to connect to her. So I'm glad I got the time to know my grandma when I did. And I hope I'll see her again. So, you know, I'm thinking back to this weird moment in time, right? In this early part of COVID when Mm -hmm. um, people in nursing homes, you can't see them. And so when we asked you to tell this story, like we didn't know what was going to come in. And I feel like you always craft such a good story and I just sort of like where you started us and you ended I mean I always think about like I love a story where you stick the landing with the last line I mean and that is such a powerful last line you know I hope I'll see her again and so I guess the obvious question is did did you get to see her again no I didn't get to see her again yeah she uh yeah she she died um uh, during during COVID, and uh, we watched the funeral on um, on the internet. Um, but I do tell another story about my grandma about her awful Christmas food. Like she makes the worst Christmas food. It's so gross. It involves um, Campbell's cream of shrimp soup, and um, and she, but she always wore this uh, this jewelry. At that time, and I got that jewelry. When she I, she always wore jewelry when she was in when, the on Christmas Eve. She had this like big uh, fake gold medallion with a or, or like a red stone in the middle of it. It looks like um, the staff of Ra from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark when he, he's looking for the Ark and the sun shines in it, and it has matching clip-on earrings. So that's like the collection. And this Christmas, we, uh, uh, I wore it and my wife wore it and my son wore it. And we took pictures with the Christmas tree and sent those around. Nice. Well, that's an awesome Christmas card. Yeah. How did you get to be in, how did, how did you get that inheritance? How did it come to you? Um, my mom was in charge of the jewelry and, uh, it was hotly contested, but like as a B category, there, there were like a bunch of my cousins wanted other things. And then after they got that, they, they wanted that, uh, the Christmas jewelry. And, uh, I beat out, um, 
Uh, I know my cousin Annie really wanted it too, <laughs> but um, my mo- I knew the person uh, who was making the decisions. And so when I let my mom know, she's like, yeah, you can have it. <laughs> That's cool. One of the things I really like every time you tell a story is I never know who's going to be the center of it. Like I know it's about you, right? Mm-hmm. But this is another one where you kind of took me like, is it about your mom, your grandpa, your grandma? Mm-hmm. So I really like how you do that. Can you tell us a little bit how, about how, um, I know you wrote this during the COVID time, but what made you, you know, kind of choose to center it around, you know, your grandma and just kind of get it in her mindset? Yeah. Well, I think it was really top of mind for me. My grandma was. And then in thinking about like the interactions with I, when I had with my grandma, um, there weren't like a lot of super fun interactions with her um, to, to choose. She was always like, um, she was like, you had to get out of the pool when she was going to do her laps or you like better not go and let her see you sitting on the couch in the, in the sitting room. Um, it, you always like stayed out of her way a little bit and she wasn't going to like yell at you or anything, but, uh, you were just going to get kind of like this, a little bit of scolding that, um, And maybe I don't know that it ever happened to me, but it was like the kids were were, uh, her kids. My aunts and uncles were all like letting me know to watch out for it. And eventually um, but eventually she she came to this place where she could get teased so hard. People would make so much fun of her, Um, all my aunts and uncles and everybody. And uh, she didn't care. She's just like herself completely. And I, I think about that like transition I went through with her from um, being very uncomfortable with her and to like being very comfortable with her and her being comfortable with herself um, the, as like this really um, a big time in my life, like a, a, something I mark to, to think about how people are different, so different at different points in their life. Um, but yeah, that that um, that story. There's actually a lot uh, going on that I cut out of it. Mm. Um, we we always talk about this during um, workshops, right? Mm-hmm. And and during this time, also um, my cousin uh, was actually attacked and was in a coma too. Like like the week I was going to ask Sarah to marry me, like my cousin got attacked, and so I didn't ask her to marry me because my family was so focused on my cousin and it got put off for like um, a few months until he woke up from his coma, uh, surprisingly. Um, Like it it was unexpected. Uh, But yeah, that doesn't enter into this story. That this story, while those things happened, like this story isn't about that Mm -hmm. at all, right? It, It needed to center on my grandma so much. Well, and the thing that, the thing that I liked about, the thing that really, struck me about the story and probably a lot of people have this experience like so my father-in-law also died during covid in a nursing home and no one you know alone mm-hmm. and he also like is not he was a hard person to get to know right and so i think there's a new different level of poignancy when there there's a complication in a relationship with someone and mm-hmm. then you know within a few months they're going to die but you cannot doing like you can't do anything about it you can't see them you can't kind of have that closure which i think you know what like hundreds of thousands of people in in this you know around the world i guess or whatever like i've had this experience over the last 15 months 
yeah, yeah, we're all uh, stuck uh, at that moment um, before things closed. Uh, I mean, we were stuck there for a long time, and some of that's been released, but some of that is just stuck yeah. there. And we're there's yeah. not that other person to get through it with anymore. We have to get through it on our own. Um, I just want to point out. I know Teal started mentioning some some like storytelling craft, and one thing I want to point out that that really um, stuck with me is right because like you know, how do you share, like, how do you get the listener to kind of have a sense of someone or a sense of a situation? And I love what you said that um, she even learned how to email, which like, I mean, I'm sure like, I mean, that takes me to, right to, you know, my great answer or whatever, trying to explain to someone yeah. like, this is, this is, this is how you get on Facebook. That's where my pictures are or whatever. Like, so anyway, so I thought that was like a nice little detail to put in there. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, um, that's something else that changed. Like we continued our, email correspondence a lot after that. And actually it moved from being like me treading, seeing one of these emails drop in to me sending her emails kind of as homework, like, uh, like as the things in her life, um, fell away and she had less, uh, external motivation. She was always really like, um, my mom says she was always really task oriented, my grandma. And so as tasks dropped away, and then we started uh, emailing back and forth. And so I would give her little updates um, every couple of weeks. Question for you. How did the wedding turn out? That was a while ago, but. Yeah, yeah. It was good. It was, uh, it was a super hot day in October, but everybody showed up and had a really good time. Um, I have this big point of pride with our wedding. Um, uh, one of my best friends uh, from growing up, we've been friends since like second grade, he was in a band and they were trying to make a go of it at that time, like touring around. And he offered to uh, play our wedding. And I was like, are you sure? Like, you should party. <laughs> He's like, no, that's what we want to do. So we played it and his, the band, they learned like 30 songs because they played all originals, but they learned all these songs for us. Um, and like everybody got up and danced, which is not like a usual thing. And in fact, a friend who came, her boyfriend had grown up in like the Manchester scene, like the rave scene in England. And he came in and his jaw dropped when he saw this party, because this is not like the typical Catholic, like upper Midwest white wedding at all. <laughs> um, it was it was fun. It was a really good party. My My godfather never went to sleep that night. I know. I talked to him the next morning, bleary-eyed. <laughs> That's a great wedding and a great wedding story. <laughs> the the one question related to that I have, because I think you started the story with you awkwardly asked your girlfriend to marry you or whatever. Yeah. So what, what did you say? Oh, well, I had been waiting a while because of all this different stuff. And so I had... Um, I had bought the ring at Bernie's Rock Shop <laughs> uh, and kept it just in like my sock and underwear drawer where you hide all, you know, all documents and every precious thing. And so for a long time, uh, I was just like going and looking at it and opening up after she would go to work in the morning before I had to go to class. And I'd be like, well, how nervous do I feel today? And I was like, all right, too nervous. And so eventually one day I got home after class and I knew she was coming home in a couple hours. And I was like, well, I'm just going to ask her today. So I like ran out and I got flowers and I got all this paper and I was uh, making, I was like in the middle of doing this elaborate, like hanging stuff from the ceiling. Like when she came home in the middle of me, like setting it up and I was like, 
uh, when we just, she's like, surprise, I'm home. And I just like, my face fell and she's like, oh, this isn't a good surprise. And we just stared at each other for a minute. And then she's like, well, are you in the middle of something? And I was like, yeah, could you just wait in the bedroom? <laughs> and so she went into the bed because it was like a one bedroom apartment. It was tiny. And she waited for like 20 minutes while I finished up. And she said, like, she knew what was going on at that point. So she was pretty excited and had <laughs> trouble like pacing back and forth right. in, this, in this bedroom. <laughs> That's great. So we have a couple questions we ask folks. Um, well, we're going to start asking. Um, let's see if I can remember them. One of them, I think, was kind of like, what did you learn about yourself during COVID? Yeah. Um, Oh, I was way more content than I thought I was. Um, when there's a lot of things going on and it feels like they're going by you, um, and then all of a sudden those things fall away, uh, and you, you're just there with your family, um, as hard as that can be sometimes, it actually wasn't that hard. And I mean, we're lucky for a lot of reasons for that. Like we both had jobs that would accommodate us so that we could run school and things. And I recognize all those things, but I actually was, I think I came out of COVID in like a healthier place in terms of how I view myself and um, where I'm at in my life. That's awesome. Um, I think the other thing that that was sort of like the deep sort of introspective question about COVID. But the other question is like, what is like something you did, like whether you were like binge watching horrible shows or like what's something you did that like you might not have done otherwise that you're not necessarily like. Yes. Yeah, so right at the beginning of COVID, we ordered a bunch of fake tattoos and like really good ones on Amazon. And so then, um, we would just try on fake tattoos for a while. So I ended up actually getting a, a real tattoo uh, during COVID at um, the shop across from Willie Street, uh, Gigay, uh, which is a great shop. And I had had like a art crush on one of the artists there, Mar, and um, been trying to get a tattoo with them, thinking about it anywhere for a long time. And so then finally it worked out during this uh, during the pandemic, like right around when um, vaccinations were rolling out, that I ended up getting a, t a real tattoo. Of what? Of what? Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, here's another story. <laughs> uh, the first time we ever went anywhere uh, with my son that he could like kind of go off on his own. He was like two or three. We went to a friend's farm. And, uh, I was just wandering around uh, realizing what it was like to not like have immediate care of a child, like on your plate. And he would keep coming back to me. And so one time he brought me like a bone, like some kind of big animal bone. And I was like, oh, wow, this is great. And he went off again for like 20 minutes. And then he came back and he brought me back this big bolt, like a 12 inch bolt. I was like, oh, you know, I made the right noises. And then he like came back later and brought me a branch and I carried him around for then that time. But then I put him next to this tree. And the next day, our friend um, who owns the farm came and she had like fashioned them into a triangle and uh, with some like really pretty copper wire. And that's been hanging on my um, our front door for like five years now. And I think in... Somewhere in that time, as I like 
realized how comfortable I was with my family, my like like my wife and my kid and myself being together and um that that symbol kind of came on to be like a family crest, like one that we made up. Oh, so that's, sweet. that's what I got my tattoo of. Oh cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like that story. Me too. Thanks. Well and now that we're gonna start having storytelling events, maybe you could tell somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I was realizing um I know we talk about the craft of a story, but also like the performance is part of that craft. Mm-hmm. And this performance is so different than my typical performance yeah. in front of an audience because there um, was no audience to react to. And normally like I'm all over the register. Yeah. Uh, and this one I like dropped into this like back part of my like this serious voice mm-hmm. and um Right. I could even hear myself swallowing in there sometimes. So yeah. The, I was thinking, I actually wrote that down, but I never, I didn't ask you cause right. Cause you're, you have an improv background. Like you feed off the audience. There was all these funny lines, but you know, no one's laughing. It's hard to laugh at yeah. yourself. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, I'm yeah, so, good at laughing at myself. But so yeah, uh, just how different it is without the audience feedback. And I think you're, you're the, so this is going to be our third episode and all three of them were told in people's bedrooms, but we're mm-hmm. going to transition next to stories told live. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 That'll be great to get back telling them in front of people again, um, relearning that skill, mm-hmm. uh, and like actual conversational cues instead of like zoom conversational cues, yep. which there, there aren't any. Yeah. Yeah. Besides you're still on mute. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or the leaning in like anyway, but, um, well, thanks again. And, um, glad to see you out in the world. Yeah. It was great to, be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. All right. So that took us back in time a little bit to pre things opening up. Um, I kind of I'm going to miss being locked up in the house, to be honest with you. Yeah, I actually have a very strong memory of this because this was the like right when COVID happened and we put out a call to people and I had um I had found some sort of decent microphone and I was sitting in the closet like <laughs> recording. I think what did we do? We did four episodes or something. But the thing about Brendan and his stories is you know he's always gonna put together something really nice. Yeah. So he's always a fave to have on and I like working with him too. Yeah, he's right though. I mean, if you ever have a chance, if anyone listening goes to the moth or to Madison storytellers, like he's a high energy storyteller, which did not come across alone in his room with the microphone. But speaking about, um, live storytelling events, um, you know, unless things change dramatically, things are starting to open up. The moth is starting back up in September. Nice. Yeah. So I think the second Monday in September will be the first Moth Story Slam. And once I know more details about like who's hosting and what the theme is, I'll let people know. Um, and then we've been doing a bunch of stuff. We have. We've been busy-ish. Um, we received one of the YWCA of Madison's Amplify grants. So we are working with Marisol on storytelling workshops and just trying to teach people how to tell a well-told story um, in their own way. So we are doing a call out. So if you do want us to come and teach you, your company, your community center, um, some storytelling, you can reach out to us via email at inside stories podcast at gmail.com that's it okay i got it at least that's how i remember it <laughs> all right it's been it's been a long 15 months also so it's marisol gonzalez who she's um episode she's our third episode and so she uh is interested in t- 
taking some of our storytelling and, and teaching it in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So this is all a little bit of a work in progress, but if anyone has any interest or need in a storytelling workshop in Spanish, um, Marisol would be very interested in working with you. Yes. Um, speaking of which also, we also, um, for probably a lot of people listening know this, there's been a lot of uh, recovery money that's come through the federal government during COVID. And so there's been money for the arts and Mark Frere, who works at Dane County has been instrumental in bringing a lot of money to Dane County. And so we got um, a grant to do some of our storytelling stuff. So thank you to Dane County Arts and to whoever passed the legislation, not to the people who, who voted against it, but whoever voted for it. Right. Thank you. Thank you for the money. <laughs> thank as you always. for that. And just to keep money going to keep the arts going. I think there's a lot of artists and venues that would not um, be able to be open or doing their work without that money. So. Exactly. And they need us right now. I mean, a lot of stuff happened to all of us during COVID, and I think we need a way to get it out instead of just sitting with all that stuff. So call out again. We could help you tell those stories. We can help you tell the stories. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's it. What else do we have to say? Oh, uh, no, I can't think of anything else we have to say. No, I think that's it. Just thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Yeah, we're going to have, um, well, actually, I'm not sure we're going to have next, so I won't say. But anyway, <laughs> see you next week. Thanks. <laughs>